What's up, Salt Company? How you doing tonight? All right. Well, Mikey and Ryan said, hey, Mark, we want you to speak at Salt sometime. I'm like, sweet. Just let me know when, what the topic is. Uh, a few weeks ago, I'm like, yeah, am I speaking at Salt? They're like, oh, yeah, this uh, April 8th. And I said, what's my topic? And they're like, lust. I'm like, I get to speak once at Salt Company, and you give me lust? Um, so anyway, here we go. Well, don't answer this question. I want to make sure this applies to the group tonight. Uh, don't answer this. But does anyone here tonight want to have sex? <laughs> some, some giggles. Uh, the second question you really don't want to answer, does anyone want to have sex with somebody who's not their spouse? All right, okay, nobody has answered, but everybody has answered, okay? We're talking about lust tonight, and we have three questions that I want to answer. Number one, I want to know what is lust, why is it a problem, and how do we overcome it? Those are the three questions we're going to answer, and I have three pictures to show you tonight. Not, uh, that's why I have a whiteboard up here. This is going to be so much fun tonight. It's going to be fascinating. Are you ready? Um, it involves pictures. It involves a bag of Cheetos. Um, it involves a lot of stories. And so uh, this is going to be a blast. Let's start with the first question. What is lust? What is lust? Okay, I want to um, tell you a couple stories and what I learned. Story number one. I grew up camping. Loved camping. Uh, any, any campers? Anyone go camping? Like stayed in tents and one of the best parts is like the fire, making the fire as a kid, gathering sticks, building the fire. And uh, the fire is so fun. I mean, fire is like one of the four main elements, you know, according to the Greeks. And, and uh, what do we have? Fire, air, earth, water, right? Fire, it's so essential to life. It's so primal. I love messing with the fire, building the fire, cooking hot dogs and s'mores over the fire. It keeps you warm. It's like so essential to life. And the first thing that I learned um, about fire is uh, I learned um, that fire, so this is, I'm going to, picture number one, um, this is the fire pit. And what I learned is that fire is good. This is good. Fire in the fire pit is really good. That's story number one. Story number two, Labor Day, 1996. I was going into my sophomore year of college with some friends. We were Labor Day weekend, went up to Minnesota, his cabin just south of St. Cloud, north of Minneapolis. We're hanging out, and there's some girls, you know, some guys. We're just hanging out, you know, about ready to grill some burgers. Problem is, we're out of lighter fluid. My friend shows up, and he's like, well, I do have a little bit of gasoline in one of those little Folger coffee cans. And it wasn't even that much gas in there, like hardly enough to even splash around and see that it was in there. And so I am standing by the grill and I'm like, give me that thing. I grab it from him. I throw it into the grill and the charcoal, you know, it's just all black. It's not burning. Oh, but there was a little bit that was burning. And this massive fireball shoots out of the grill 
comes at me, I, like, before the, this is like in slow motion, I can still picture this, before it even gets like halfway there, this ball of fire comes out, meets the liquid, I throw the coffee can, and boom, right here, everything on fire. I'm standing there for a, like a couple seconds, and I, I have this moment, the thought that I have go through my mind at this moment was, oh, so this is what it feels like to be on fire. <laughs> like, it's weird. I remember that thought, like, wow, this is, this is like really painful. And I'm stunned. I'm shocked. And my friends just like, they start laughing for a second, but then they're like, get in the lake. Like all the stop, drop, roll, the stuff you learned and you know, kindergarten or something like, oh, that, that's, I, I don't know where that was. Why couldn't I have that thought in my head? I don't know. Uh, but I just start running toward the lake. Now the lake is like from here to the sound booth. It's a little bit of a run, okay? I'm, I got these little like basketball shorts, kind of the mesh shorts, and they start like, I'm on fire, okay? So I'm, <laughs> I'm pulling down it's like my swim truck, like I'm pulling these down. Now, I want you to picture this. Just picture, just imagine this, like me running and my shorts getting further closer to my ankles, right? Like pretty soon it's like this. And I'm just like, my friends are dying laughing, but I'm like on fire. And so I, the only reason this is funny is because you know I'm okay. And you know my daughter's here tonight. So everything's okay. Uh, so we were running and... And I jump, I jump over this boat dolly. You know the boat dolly that puts the boat in the water? I promised I wouldn't talk, I, I promised her I wouldn't say her name tonight. And, and I jump, because and I, I have to clear this boat dolly that's between me and the lake. And I, I hit the, this bar. So next time you try to, you try to do a long jump with shorts around your ankle and see how it turns out. Slam on this boat dolly. And, and I thought at that point I had broke my foot. I'm still on fire, okay? Still on fire. <laughs> Crawl into the lake and I just hear a And uh, what I learned in that moment is that there's the fire pit and then there's fire out of the fire pit. <laughs> and what I learned about fire here is that it's bad. <laughs> and I looked in a big, I won't describe what I saw. It was terrible. It was terrible. That's what I learned, and uh, I spent the next like, year of my life recovering. I'm, before I show you this picture, I'm just going to tell you, if you don't have a good you know, stomach, just don't look at the screen, okay? I'm telling you right now. I'm going to put it up in a second. And you don't have to look at this, so don't blame me if whatever. Okay, here's a picture of me and my leg. Um, there I am, and there's actually a worse picture, but this is me, and I look, it's fine. You can see, like, I had to get a skin graft. They take skin off the top, put it on the bottom. Okay, you can take the picture down. Um, 
That's when I learned that fire out of the fire pit is bad. Fire in the fire pit is good. If you're taking notes, here it is. The first question, what is lust? Lust is the desire for sex out of context. So, the first thing we learn is that this is sex. And this is lust. That's the picture number one. Why is lust a problem? Question number two. This is where we come to the words of Jesus in Matthew 5. We have to first start by, before we say why it's a problem, we have to acknowledge that it is a problem. According to Jesus, Matthew 5, 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has adultery, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away, for it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. According to Jesus, fire is not just dangerous, it's deadly. It's the kind of deadly that separates you for all of eternity from all that is good, separates you from God, separates you from this eternal separation from God is, is what Jesus is saying here, that, that this issue of lust, it can kill yourself, it can kill other people, but I want you to understand how and why this happens. And for that, I want you to open to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. These verses will also be on the screen. <clears throat> I, um, when I was in college, um, Ephesians kind of just became one of my favorite books, and I... Uh, so I know this book in the NIV, the 1984 NIV, and so that's why uh, that's the translation I'm using. And Paul says this. He says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their hearts and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Let me explain what he's saying here. He says, don't live like the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? Um, well, it's all the people who don't know God. In this city of Ephesus, there was the temple of Artemis, which was one of the seven wonders of the world. And the way that uh, people would go to the temple like after work, 
And they would go to, you know, grab a beer and get a sex fix or whatever, like just go. And there were temple prostitutes. So uh, just like, hey, where are you going after work? It's like, ah, I'm headed to the temple. Uh, yeah, meet you there. And, you know, you go grab a drink, grab a man or woman or whatever you want, get your, you know, sexual needs met. Their economy was based on this. Um, in fact, uh, in Acts chapter 19, you can see the story of revival that breaks out in Ephesus and actually puts uh, a lot of the, the idol makers and silversmiths out of business. Um, it'd be like if Salt Company became uh, just the name of Jesus Christ got exalted on Iowa campus to the point where like the Ped Mall like bars went out of business. That's kind of what happened in Ephesus. Um, their Temple of Artemis was kind of like, like, you know, the bars at the Ped Mall, only maybe worse. Um, and so what Paul's saying is, hey, don't, I'm, I'm insisting on this. You can't live like that. Like that, if you're a Christian, that's not an option for you. And in verse 19, look at what he says. He says, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality, like unrestrained sexual passion, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, just perverted sexual stuff you can think of, but with a continual lust for more. Okay, here's the, if you're taking notes, you can write this down, but I'm going to draw a picture of this for those of you that, that don't do well with words, but you like pictures, all right? Here it is in words, what I think Paul's saying. Why is lust a problem? Lust is a problem because lust is an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. And uh, those of you that have read Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis know that I just stole that point from him. An ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure to get the man's soul and give him nothing in return. I'm going to illustrate that with some Cheetos, okay? Um, getting this ready for the next picture here. But I want to start with, have you guys ever eaten Flaming Hot Cheetos? Um, oh my word, you guys, man, these things are so good. Like, I want you guys to experience these. I know you have. Um, but man, this, this first Cheeto is just amazing, isn't it? Like, there's the bag, and I know for a fact that this is a bad idea, but it's also such a great idea, right? Cheeto number one. Mmm, that's good stuff. Well, I'm not going to go for, like, I'm not going to go for one more Cheeto. I'm going for two, right? Two Cheetos. Well, these Cheetos have something in them. Man, what's that called? Monosodium glutamate. Mmm, that stuff is good. <laughs> Give me some more of that monosodium glutamate. Wow. Also known as MSG. So, some of you guys that know about health, you're like, dude, you better stop, man, because I could not end well. I, I got cheese all over my fingers, and... The thing about Cheetos is like, the more, I, oh, well, 
Like you can't eat just one, right? Because this is the this is the Cheeto chart. Okay? Here's the Cheeto chart. Right here. Check this out. I was thinking about this the other day. So this this graph, this y-axis represents this y-axis represents pleasure. Okay, pleasure. And this right here are the number of Cheetos that I eat. This is Cheeto number one. Okay, you guys all see that? Pleasure, Cheeto number one. And here's what happens. Like, I'm living my life, and then I eat that one Cheeto, and it's like, guys, I just experience, like, a lot of pleasure. It's amazing. <laughs> this is the moment, the, like, one and a half seconds it takes to eat that Cheeto. And this is like the second right after it. The pleasure goes down, back down to zero, right? And this is, um, so of course, this is Cheeto number two, okay? Cheeto number two is good. Cheeto number two is good. But it's not as good as the first one, right? And so this is the second after eating Cheeto number two. And then there's Cheeto number three, and Cheeto number three is also amazing, but not quite as amazing, okay? Do you see what's happening here? Now, my, with each passing Cheeto, my pleasure with each Cheeto is less and less, okay? You see what's going on here? Less and less pleasure with each Cheeto. Now, I have a runny nose. <sighs> Sorry about that. Okay, so what do I do because I want this same amount of pleasure every time, right? So what do I do to fill this pleasure gap? This is eat more Cheetos, okay? This is more Cheetos. It takes more Cheetos to get the same amount of pleasure that I had from the first one. And so with the third Cheeto, I actually don't eat just three Cheetos. I eat like six Cheetos to compensate and get there. And then pretty soon, I'm eating like 10 Cheetos. And this is like, I actually eat the whole bag of Cheetos. And this is like, I have, I'm like starting a YouTube channel to see how fast I can eat like 10 bags of Cheetos. Okay, do you see what's happening here? An ever-increasing craving, like I actually want more and more and more for an ever-diminishing pleasure. My pleasure diminishes each time I do it, but I'm increasing my appetite for it, and so I need more and more and more to satisfy it. Now, Here's what happens. There's another side to my Cheeto chart. And this side, this downside, we're going to call this guilt. This is feeling bad for what I just did. Now, it, it might start small, but... For the sake of my graph, we're going to go big. Because, you know, 
when all of a sudden uh, this, this Cheeto, like I ate that and I'm like, why did I do that? That was dumb. I know that I'm, you know, that's not good for me. And so my guilt, this is like a lot of guilt, okay? My level of guilt. But then after two, my guilt slowly starts going down. And Stuart starts mirroring this, okay? This is guilt. This is how bad I feel for what I've just done, okay? Now, so I'm eating more Cheetos. I feel bad about it. I've eaten a whole bag, and I feel guilty about it. But I keep going, and I keep needing more and more and more to satisfy myself. Okay, you know this, right? This is not about Cheetos. This is about all sin. This is sex, sexual desire. This is shopping. This is food. This is greed and money. And what happens is I do something for the first time. I, this is the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. This is internet porn. This is making out with my girlfriend. This is her boyfriend. This is, you know, well, we didn't quite have intercourse. This is intercourse. Somewhere down here is, I thought Tinder was a good idea. And somehow over here, like, I don't know, you're attracted to horses or something. I don't know. <laughs> it just gets ugly, all right? And you, <laughs> you're grossed out. And I'm telling you as a pastor, there are people that struggle with such perverted things that it would make you so sick. And this becomes something so innocent, didn't seem like a big deal. And pretty soon, I'm way over here and there's another thing that happens on this chart. See, this is more Cheetos. Well, see, I have this need to justify myself. And so this down here, I have to justify myself. And I know that I should feel guilty, but I don't. Some of you are like, well, I don't feel guilty making out with this person who's not my husband or wife. Oh, I know that you don't feel guilty about it. Because what's happening to you is this right here. And what happens, the way you feel the, fill this gap, is this gap is called excuses. Also known as justifying myself. Right? And here's the thing. Listen to this. Guilt is to the soul what pain is to the body. Did you get that? Guilt is to your soul. What physical pain is to your body. Did you know that physical pain is a gift to you? After my burn, I pulled my leg out of the water and I was so 
I'm afraid of doctors. I don't like to go to the hospital, especially when I was younger. I didn't want to go to the doctor. And I told my friends, you guys, I have great news for you. I can't feel anything. It's fine. I don't need to go to the hospital. My friend's mom looked at it and she's like, you're going to the hospital right now. I'm like, it's okay. I can't feel anything. She goes, I know. You've burned off all your nerve endings. You can't feel anything. And you need to go right now. What I'm telling you is, people that can't feel pain, that's not a good thing. When you sin sexually and you don't feel bad about it, that's not a good thing. God has given you what we call a conscience, a soul, because you're not just a dog, an animal. <laughs> like You don't just have these unrestrained appetites. No, you have a soul, and that's why you feel bad when you do something wrong, right? That's why you felt bad here when you looked at porn for the first time and you knew it was wrong. And it made you sick afterwards. And you should feel sick. But in time, it was, well, I mean, everybody's doing it, right? Like, who's not making out with their boyfriend or girlfriend? That's the whole point of dating is so you can do that, right? This is not some random person. Like, we're committed to each other, right? Uh, so so in it, on it goes, right? On it goes to justify, well, I mean, who's not looking at pornography? Who doesn't need to satisfy themselves sexually? I'm not hurting anyone, well, that's this right here is what Paul means in verse 19 when he says, with a continual lust for more. And this is what he means when he says, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. This is a picture of Ephesians Result number one, calling this the calcification of the soul. You stop feeling pleasure or pain. What happens with lust, the reason it's so evil, is you stop being able to even feel pleasure, and you stop feeling pain. Calcification is something that's alive, or fossilization, something that's alive becomes hard as a rock. Your heart becomes like a stone. And result number two It's the dehumanization of people. The dehumanization of people. You turn people into objects to use for your pleasure. These right here are no longer Cheetos. These are people. People that I use to satisfy the longings of my soul. And one of the most evil things you can do to another human being is look them in the eye and say, make me happy. 
meet my demands and my needs. I have a friend who was addicted to pornography for years. We were hanging out and he had a he had a flip phone. I'm like, oh flip phone. He goes, yeah. Uh, this is one of the keys to overcoming my porn addiction. He said, Mark, the thing about pornography is that porn sexualizes everything. Everything turns into a sexual fantasy. I'm giving my little children a bath and all of a sudden these thoughts that I never thought a person could even have. And then when I got on Tinder and the pictures and the videos weren't enough and I needed some real life stuff. There's a saying that sin takes you further than you want to go, costs you more than you have to pay, and keeps you longer than you want to stay. And that is a picture of what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 4, about sin. And we're not up here just saying, guys, don't have sex before you're married. I want you to understand why. Because we as Christians believe that nobody should ever be objectified. Nobody should ever be turned into an object. People are not objects to be used. They are people that need to be loved and served. And this selfishness robs people of their humanity in a way that is so perverted and sick and evil. And if you have been looking at pornography, this is how you see people. Never mind, not to mention that that person is somebody's son or daughter that's doing these acts. And they're so juiced up on drugs and all kinds of stuff that they're doing and they're just acting and performing and you have this idea of what sex is going to be like and it will steal. It will ruin your marriage. And you're like, I'm not married. I'm saying, I know. It's ruining the one that you want to have, right? That's why lust is a problem. But let's look at the end of the verse of chapter 4. He says, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He talks about being separated from the life of God, and ultimately, that's what sin does, isn't it? Because this pleasure, this pleasure is 
This is God. Pleasure is God's invention. God invented everything you know that is good. Everything that you've ever experienced in this life that is good, it was God's idea. God thought of it. God invented it. And so what sin does is it pulls us away from the life of God. It separates us from friends and family and spouses and all those things. And he said, here's the good news. Here is the good news. He says, put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the great news of the gospel. And the last question tonight is, how can I overcome lust? Well, two things I want to point out. Number one, Jesus Christ is how you overcome lust. Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is a parallel passage to this where Paul says, if anyone is in Christ They are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. This is the great news of what I'm talking about tonight, that Jesus Christ can make all things new. Your identity is Jesus Christ. I was sitting on, and here's what Jesus does. I was was, um, sitting watching a football game on a grassy area, uh, and this was back at Iowa State. We used to do stadium cleanup, and I was sitting there um, right after, after my burn. It was like the next, uh, I don't know uh, at what point I was, but I just remember I was sitting next to Jeff Dodge. You know, Jeff's one of the pastors at Veritas, and uh, I'm just a little sophomore in college, and I come back, and I've got this huge thing on my leg, and I'm sitting next to him, and he made this statement. He goes, Mark, those with the deepest wounds have the deepest healing. And do you know what I want to say to you tonight? For those of you that are so far down this path, you don't know what to do. I want to say to you, I've got great news. If you have been wounded sexually, or you have done some wounding sexually, or self-inflicted wounds sexually, I have great news for you. Those with the deepest wounds in Christ can have the deepest healing. This is a house of healing tonight. This is a place for you to come and let Jesus cleanse you. Let Jesus forgive you. But you know what you have to do? You have to come and step into the light of Jesus and let him do the cleansing. You have to come with all your filthy rags and just say, Jesus, here it is. Here I am. Change me. Help me. Save me. I put off my old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And this is the last picture I want to show you. I had a friend um, about 10 years ago when we moved here um, with, the, with the prison being in Coralville, Oakdale Prison, Every prisoner in the state of Iowa uh, goes through Oakdale. I don't know if you knew this. They had a psych evaluation. Every, every prisoner comes through Oakdale right here in Coralville. And um, I got to meet uh, a friend. His name is Lester. And uh, I want to tell you about my friend Lester. Lester was in prison for a lot of years for murder. 
okay? Lester was in prison for murder, okay? Lester was on his way out of prison. He had served a long term, and he needed somebody to help him transition into life. And so I helped him, uh, went through the halfway house, and he got to the point where he got his own apartment. And I was helping him unpack, like, his one box that he had. We're in this apartment, and he pulls out his jeans, and he unrolls them, and he holds them out. And these look like jeans that I could have worn or could have, could have made, right? They go to, like, go to Joanne Fabric and just find some jean material and sew some stuff. I mean, they look like the frumpiest, just, just like baggiest, uh, no, you know, they weren't cool like mine. Um, they were just like prison jeans. So here's Lyle in his, je- in his prison jeans, right? And he, he gives me his jeans and he says, Mark, you can have these jeans. I never want to wear these again. I never want to see these again. Here's Lyle wearing his prison jeans for years. 20 years maybe in prison. Every day wearing his prison jeans. And he handed me those jeans. He's like, I never want to see these again because that's not who I am anymore. I'm free, right? I'm free. We're going to give Lester some skinny jeans. <laughs> or some mom jeans. If you're a girl. Okay, this is the step right here, guys. Um, this right here, that's not who you are. If you're a follower of Jesus, you don't need to wear these jeans anymore because that's not who you are. That's what Paul's saying. Put off the old self and put on the new, right? Jesus Christ has changed you. And every day is a process of reminding ourselves of who we are. And do you know what he says here? He goes, put off the old self, which is being corrupted by what? It's deceitful desires, deceitful desires. Here's a question. How do you, so what Paul's saying is there are some desires that are good, some desires that are bad. Here's a question, Saul Company. How do you know if you can trust your feelings? How do you know? Like you have all these feelings, right? Desires, things you want to do. How do you know if you can trust those feelings? Paul's saying there's some feelings that are deceitful. The prevailing lie of your culture is that you are what you desire, right? You feel like you're in the wrong body. It's because you are in the wrong body, right? You know what? You can't help how you're hardwired. Your sexual desires define who you are. Your feelings are what make you, you. I had a friend, um, he was a, a dad, he also had grandkids. He came to me, he's like, hey Mark, I need to talk to you because I just met with my psychiatrist and she, I'm struggling with same-sex attraction and I don't know what to do. My psychiatrist tells me that I have two options. Option number one, I can be who 
I feel that I am. I can be my true self and pursue my sexual desires. Or I can live a lie and try to live as a straight man. Those are my options, she says. Paul's saying that our desires don't define us because some of them are tricking us. Not everything that you feel can be trusted, right? Because some of them trick you. And we as Christians don't believe that we're not biological determinists. We don't believe that we are slaves to our DNA, right? We believe that there's hope for transformation, that Jesus Christ can transform us and do miracles and amazing things. And this is great news for us because would you ever do that to somebody who's struggling with anorexia and just say, well, you feel overweight, you feel obese, so you must be. No, we would never do that. Because we know that's your feelings do not always tell the truth. And Paul is saying, some of your desires are deceitful. So put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires and being made new in the attitude of your minds. Point number two on how you can overcome lust is replace Lies with truth. Replace lies with truth. Identify those desires. If you need to tell somebody, if you need to write those down, you do whatever it is. Like, I feel like doing whatever that I shouldn't do with, with my boyfriend or girlfriend. I feel right now that like, like identify your desires and speak truth to those lies. You should try this in your connection group. If you've got a good connection group, you can try this. <laughs> or with some close friends. Do this little game where you take some time, you write down on a piece of paper some of the lies that you believe. And then you read them. And the other people in the group can take out their Bibles and they can start quoting truth back to you. If you're with trusted friends, this is a great exercise. And I've done this with different people and some stuff comes out like, I don't know if I'm worth fighting for. I don't know if anyone could ever love me. I have to have so-and-so's approval to have meaning. I don't know if I can ever be healed truly. I don't know if I can ever get up and just let the people read scripture, read truth, replace those lies with the truth of God's word. Okay, there's so much more we can say, and there's some timer back here. I don't even know what that timer means. I don't know what my time is. Sorry, Ryan and Mikey and Salt Staff. As we, as we close, um, I just wanna tell you this about God. Psalm 1611 says, you have made known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures 
at your right hand forevermore. If there's one thing I could convince you of tonight, it's that with God are pleasures forevermore. God doesn't think your desires are too strong. He thinks they're too weak. He doesn't want you to be messing around with pornography and lust and masturbation when God has something that will actually satisfy the longings of your soul, and that is himself. Let's pray together. Jesus, as I look out on this room filled with college students, young people, I know that they struggle with, just like all of us, the forbidden fruit. Just like I still have the after effects of eating Cheetos, even some of them right now are feeling the after effects of falling into sexual sin. Ugh. Even now, um, Lord, maybe some are kind of justifying it. Just saying why that what they've done isn't that big of a deal or it's not wrong. Or... God, wherever students are at tonight, would you just would you just speak to them? Each one of them, Lord. You see them. You know them. Each person that's here, you know, you know what they've been up to. You know their internet history. You know what they've been scrolling through. You know what they've been watching and what they've been doing. And I just, that's good news because there's hope for us. That's great news that Jesus knows you. Because he knows, think about this, Jesus knows what can actually satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. It's not that guy that you wish you could have. It's not that girl that you wish you could have. It's not that marriage. It's not that clothing item. It's not that job. It's not that whatever it is. It's Jesus Christ. Just come to him. Would you just come to him tonight? Let him cleanse you. Let him just say, hey, hand me those prison jeans. Hand me those clothes. That's not who you are. Would you just... Just hand him, hand him your sin and let him clothe you with his holiness and righteousness. Just invite Jesus right now. Just invite Jesus to, to heal you, to cleanse you. Come, Lord Jesus. Speak truth to these students. Remind these students. Replace these lies of culture, these winds that are just blowing through our minds. Just speak truth 
kind of truth that makes us want to be more like Jesus. To love people and serve people, not to use them and abuse them, but make us this kind of people, we pray.